So I am really, thank you, Phil, excited about this morning. Uh, in a little bit, going to talk to the Nemeth family, and uh, they're going to share a little bit about their journey. Uh, and it just, it's, it's just really good stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, I want to talk a little bit about um, our Advent topic of the day. So Advent is this uh, four-Sunday calendar that's celebrated around the world, acknowledged around the world. And uh, each, each topic of each Sunday deals with a different aspect of the significance of, of God taking on flesh and coming to the earth in the person of Jesus. This is called the Incarnation. And uh, one, of, one of the all-time great mysteries of the world. What does it mean? What, is, what are the significances of God taking on flesh? And so this morning we get to uh, the, the concept of love. And uh, I want to just a couple scriptures before we do our interview to solidify that and, and talk through how that's significant and what that means for you really, like so what, um, this morning. And so I think it's important for us as we approach Christmas and when we think about uh, nativity scenes and things like that to remember that the engine, the engine of the incarnation, the engine that brought Jesus to the earth is love. This is highly important because there are a lot of other things that could have brought God down here tangibly. Um, so it's very beneficial for us that the engine is love. So let's take a look at John 3.16. Many of you uh, know it. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's extraordinarily important that you and I remember always that it was love. Because it could have been reckoning. Like, I don't know about you, but I remember a few times where my parents would say something along the lines of, it's my dad, don't make me come up there or down there or whatever. I remember I had this Nerf basketball hoop, and uh, second floor, um, we lived in an old house with plaster everything. And as I got older in high school and that and would, you know, dunk on my little Nerf basketball hoop, the whole house would shake. And their dad would come up with, like, plaster from the ceiling in his hair. And there'd be times where he would, don't make me come up there, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and, and what we see in Scripture is that the motivation for God coming to earth was love, which is a very good thing for us fallen, broken human beings, that it was love that brought him here. Now, as we follow Jesus around in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we see is story after story of what that love looked like. So Matthew chapter 9 says this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, tax collectors represented the lowest of the low. Think about like a, um, socially a, a pimp along those lines in terms of social and religious status. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners. So he's eating with these people. They came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, 
they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, by eating there, he was sort of linking himself socially with them. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came to, uh, not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so what we see modeled from Jesus, this one who was sent from God, God in the flesh, motivated by love, is that this loving motivation leads him to some of the darkest corners, to some of the darkest people who are furthest from God. Jesus was drawn and tried to draw people who were far from God. It was not condemnation. It was not reckoning. It was love. And he was drawn to people in a redemptive kind of love, ultimately toward the redemption of their souls. Now, when it comes to this whole concept, uh, it's important that we're familiar with uh, Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18, let me read it to you. The word that came to Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, the word that came from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at the wheel. There's a potter, and he's forming with wet clay uh, some kind of a vessel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled. It like fell apart in his hands. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. And the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build up and plant it, if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return, every one of you. From his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. Now, here's what I want you to see from that. <coughs> God has said, I am going to destroy you. The people, this is the context for this. The people then say, well, what are we going to do? We're done. We're done. God spoke it. We're done. And God's word to them is, even if I myself have said I'm done with you, if you turn from your ways into my ways, I will relent and reshape and rebuild you. So the significance is for you and I, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how far we are from God, no matter how wrecked our lives are, even if it were so bad that we felt that somehow God had turned against us to destroy us, even if we felt like God is absolutely done with us, no matter how bad we mess it up, if we will turn to God, He will redeem it. 
That's the message of the potter. That's the message demonstrated from Jesus. The engine is redemptive love. And so when it comes to our soul, no matter how far we are, no matter what anybody has said to you, the word of God is clear. You are never too far for God. You cannot get too far. You cannot mess it up too badly. If you turn to God, his redemptive process begins in your life. That's the engine of Christmas. Redemption of the soul. Redemptive love. Extraordinarily good news for us. Now we see this other uh, sort of pathway of redemptive love in the life of Jesus that we then need to be willing to receive but also to respond and give freely as well. And that is in addition to just in, in addition to redeeming our spiritual condition. Jesus was always at work trying to help people uh, physically, emotionally, uh, holistically redeeming whatever the immediate need was. So there's a passage here that I think best sums this up, and this is from the book of Mark. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. So Jesus had sent out for the first time his disciples to actually go to these towns and heal and teach and minister to people on his behalf. Think about how exhausting it would be. Because once people realize that you have something that's helpful for them and it's free, they come out in droves. So the disciples come back and they're talking about all they had done. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. So they are all exhausted. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They, didn't even have, they, they couldn't even rest like to eat properly. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now the problem with the Sea of Galilee and many of the lakes back then is it's like bowl-shaped and you could see with not a lot build up from a very long distance. So the people see where they're going and they go and they meet them there. Many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them, so they're waiting for them on the shore when they're trying to get away. <clears throat> when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is, this is the situation that, that uh, led to Jesus feeding the thousands with bread and fish. And he also taught them and healed them and brought life to them. And so you see Jesus on the brink of exhaustion. And yet he is so compelled. Because there is so much love coming from him. Coming from God toward those in need. That he simply has to help. That's redemptive love. Not only redemption of the soul. But redemption of physical needs. Now when it comes to Christmas. This becomes a time when, when our hearts are pulled toward that ourselves. We're thankful that God is like that. We're also compelled to help others. Christmas is about generosity. It's about us using the resources that we have to help others. And there are so many needs. And you read the paper and look at Facebook and, and, and um, all the commercials and things are, are, are talking about different causes and things that, uh, great causes. 
And it would be great to give to all of them, but then we're reminded that we have limited resources and we think, man, I wish I could be more generous. I wish I could do more. I wish I could help more. That's redemptive love alive in us. I want to invite up a family at Polaris who, for me, has become a a tremendous example of God's redemptive love on display. They have received it in their own life. And, and they are extraordinarily generous and over the past couple of years are on an incredible journey of spiritual growth. And I want us to get a chance to hear from them uh, so that we ourselves can maybe pick, pick up on uh, uh, maybe, maybe a practical idea or two of, of how we can join the redemptive path that they're on. So come on up, John and Renee Nemeth. Excited to talk with you again. And I know you are wholeheartedly excited to be up here in front of everybody. So here's the deal. It can be extraordinarily awkward if you're healthy to get up and talk about how great you are uh, or what you do well. And so it's important to remember for your benefit, because I know how awkward this is, that right now what we are doing is we are celebrating the work of God the work of the Holy Spirit, the transforming power of God, uh, because we're all pretty lousy people, uh, but God is working to redeem us, and when we're obedient, he does some pretty neat things. So we're up here to celebrate some pretty neat things that God has done uh, in the Nemeth family, and that also he's excited to do in all of our families. So if you could fairly quickly give us a snapshot of the Nemeth family. Uh, There's... There's five of us. There's Jack, Jack, Grace, Luke, and uh, Jack, Grace, Luke, and Renee and I. And uh, Luke's a Luke's a big uh, athlete. He likes to play sports. He's really smart. Grace is really smart and likes art and that kind of stuff. And then Jack, he's like laid back, like Snoop Dogg, and just likes listening to music and <laughs> and. You know, just hanging in the basement, just listening to music and, and doing that kind of stuff. And then Renee's a teacher here at Polaris, and I'm a, I work at MTD. So we're just simple family. I can't say I ever made the connection between Jack and Snoop Dogg. I guess I was close, but I have to get him some braids. Jack's number six. Um, so <laughs> that's a highlight of the morning for me right there. Already done. Um, how, let's just jump into the good stuff. How are you different spiritually today than you, like if you could see yourself and observe yourself three, four years ago, how are you different today than you were a few years ago? Uh, I would say that I'm a lot closer to Jesus. Um, I guess prior to maybe a little farther back, I was. Uh, pretty much not really interested in going to church or doing anything. I went to church, but it was more like just something like I felt like I had to do or, you know, I would be, I would be like something really bad would happen to me. So, but, um, you know, recently we, we really, really enjoy going to church. We really enjoy going to church here. And uh, I feel like we're much closer to Jesus and we talk a lot about it more at home with the kids, probably more. Me, Renee's always been talking about it, but more me. Um, but I don't know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. 
I'm going to put you on the spot, and if you can't answer it, don't. Um, you said you're closer to Jesus now than you were back then, or personal friendship with Jesus now that you didn't have back then. If you were to go back and tell, like, what, how would you describe that to John five years ago? If you could, like, show up and have a minute to say, hey, this is what it's, like, what, what does that mean, closer to Jesus? I think it just means that um, you're just, you're just, you're leaving it all up to him. You're leaving it to him. You, you're not trying to, like, change stuff to make it work the way you think it should be and more letting it go and kind of going with the flow and not trying to um, make stuff happen, more kind of let stuff happen. And there's going to be lots of bad things that happen, but there's also a ton of good things happen, and hopefully there's more, you know, good than bad. But, I mean, basically I've gotten better at leaving it up to Jesus and letting him kind of run the show. Not saying that I let him do it all the time, but, I mean, majority of the time I'm okay. just trying to do that. Okay. But, I mean, I have a wife here. She can talk too. Okay. <laughs> Renee, Renee can talk? I can talk. Uh, for me, um, I think the big difference I'd tell myself, it's, it is the relationship with Jesus. And I, um, like you talked about in the sermon, you know, a God who, like a reckoning God. And that was my view probably my whole life. I always went to church. I always believed in God, but I viewed him, I was afraid of him, and I would run from him, and um, like now, I know he's my friend, and every day I just can't wait to run and be with him, and I still make really big mistakes in my life, and the way I respond to that now versus back then is completely different, and it's all because of just crawling up into his lap and that love, that the, the relentless love that he has for me. And just to wrap my arms around that is incredible. Okay, talk a little bit about maybe some milestones or benchmarks that you have seen in the past few years. Um, practices, whatever, that you could say, uh, this is what has gotten me where I am today from where I was. Like, what are you really doing differently? Well, for me, um, it was getting into scripture. Um, we were at St. Ambrose at the time, and I felt overwhelmed and lost after the birth of our third son. And um, so I reached out to the priest there, and I said I needed some help, and he guided me to a Bible study that met every week. So that was the first time I ever sat down with scripture and read it for my life, and it turned into, you know, sitting with him every morning, no matter what, um, and just getting into his word and doing Bible studies here, um, so that was like the big thing for me, just... So it's morning, you do what? When you say get into his word every morning. Well, I try to crawl out of bed without anyone hearing me um, so I can yeah. have the quiet. And um, uh, sometimes I do, Deacon Tom back at St. Ambrose used to do like just open it up and land on a scripture and meditate on that. So sometimes I would do that. A lot of times um, I do the like reading Bible plans on... Um, the app and so I sit there and I just sit in the quiet and, what app um the U version okay. app right yep. and so I do yep. plans on that and then from here what I got was I started journaling <coughs> and I use um so I sit there in the word whatever I'm reading whatever scripture and I look at how it affects me like how does it pertain to me what is God trying to say to me right there through that and um and then I do the path method of journaling where I give him praise and then I ask for forgiveness 
which I need a lot. And then I thank him for the things in my life, and then I ask for help um, for the things around me. And so that is something I gathered here. So, like, I don't feel complete if I don't do that in the morning. Okay. I want to switch topics. Um, we talk about, I talked a little earlier about this is a season of generosity in the lot of we want to be more generous. Um, we just don't know how or we can't find room to be or we're, we're depleted. Um, you guys are, are two of the most generous people that I know. Um, and I know that that's been something that has developed in your practices and in your hearts over the past few years. Uh, and I know that this is uncomfortable for you guys to talk about. Um, has, has there been anything that has changed in your personal values and how you roll as a family that has helped develop that kind of generosity? So, as I said, we were back at St. Ambrose, and every Christmas they gave out books um, as a gift to parishioners, and they gave a book out called The Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic, so I scooped it up and I read it, and one of the chapters was about tithing, and John and I both grew up um, going to you know, Catholic grade school and high school, and I had no idea that we were supposed to tithe or give the first 10% of our income to God. And at the time, I thought we were generous in what we were doing in our weekly offerings to the church, and then, but when I looked at the percentage of it, we were just at 2%. So I'm kind of impractical and crazy, and I looked at John and said, we need to get to 10% today, and John's like, um, we can't, and we looked at our finances, and we, um, uh, we had accrued $18,000 worth of credit card debt, and we were like stuck because we were buried under that mound of debt, and so we wanted to be more generous, but we couldn't be because of our circumstances. So John used to travel a lot at that time in our life, and uh, he was away on a work trip, and I found Dave Ramsey's financial peace class um, being offered at Grace Church in Middlebrook Heights. So I piled, the, I told John, I'm like, we're signing up for this, we're gonna do it. And I piled the kids into the car and I got there and they wouldn't accept Jack into the childcare because of his special needs. So I was there and it's like, I wanted help, but how was I gonna get help? And then somehow God worked that all out and John and I took the class and he can tell you He's like, shoot, you were doing a fine job. I <laughs> well, I mean, the, the basic thing is with the, you know, just with anything in your life, you, you know, you have to plan. And we were not doing that. We were using a lot of credit cards to pay for stuff. And we were, you know, we were paying the, you know, the bill every, you know, trying to pay the bill. But then it started just, we started doing stuff. And this taught us to use envelopes and you set out a plan of every month of what you're going to spend money on and, if that envelope, like let's say going out, let's say you put 50 bucks in there. Once the 50 bucks was gone, then you didn't go out to eat anymore or you didn't do certain things. And and it was a lot different paying cash for stuff than just giving somebody your credit card. So like the first time I did it, we went out to eat. We were at that Mexican place. Um, I don't remember the name of it. Muchos Buenos. And, you know, I handed the guy 40 bucks, 40, $45. And I'm like, whoa, that's like, way different than just handing him the credit card yeah. and then trying to pay the bill at the end of the month. Um, so it just, it's just a, just like with other things like weight loss or other things, it's, it's planning and that you gotta, you gotta stick to it and it's hard 
and you have to make decisions and you have to give up stuff and um, it's just one of them things that it's going to take time to get used to doing it but it, 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 I can guarantee you that it, it'll work. So, Let me talk a little bit or let me listen to you guys talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit. You, you talked about tithing and that's always fascinating for me. Um, and it, when, when I talk about tithing, I, I'm talking about 10% to any cause God lays on, and it's important because I'm going I'm to go at this, and I, it's not a ploy to get more money at Polaris. I have no idea where God wants you to give your money. Um, I know that God wants, the scriptures are very clear. God says you give 10% to whatever he lays on your heart. You give 10% to my causes and watch me bless you. Like, like God rarely makes those kinds of things. He says, test me in this. I will give you more than you can possibly contain. Um, it has been my experience, and this is one of those where, like, I, um, I don't know if there's anything else where I'd say that. I, I have, I am, I'm not one that promises miracles. I'm, I'm not, I'm skeptical on healings and, and, I have been overwhelmed again and again and again and again and again when I listen to people tell stories about how we made the jump, we got to where we were tithing to God's causes, whatever he may call you to, and we saw God respond. Has that been your experience? Yes. Okay, any like, any specifics or is it did that too personal or just a... Uh... Well, I mean... I, I could, I mean, Renee talked about the $18,000, but we also had, we, I had bought a house in Euclid when I was single, and we still had that house when we were living here, and when we first bought it, I thought we were just going to, you know, get rid of it pretty quickly, and it never was working out, so we were always running it, and the person was never paying and everything, and, and then, you know, we put it up, we decided to put it up for sale, and we, we could never get what we needed to just pay the mortgage, and at some point, we were able to do that, and you know, that's something that we never thought we were going to get out of. So that was on top of something else. So like that was something that we tried for years, but we could never get out of that jam. And that. Can you explain like how houses work? Yeah. So in this neighborhood, you know, the houses, the houses next door and around there were going for like ten grand, and the houses, you know, at one point was worth like a hundred. And I owed a lot of money on it. And then just we got, you know, I don't know what happened, but we put it up for sale and we got almost exactly what we needed to pay the mortgage off. And we were like super, it was like a huge weight off of my shoulder because that house was a very stressful for me being in Euclid and being here and trying to work that out every month with these different people. So, I mean, that to me is something that, I don't know, we could never figure that out. And we were doing the, you know, the tithing and everything. And I'm like, I don't know if we can keep doing this. And we just kept doing it. And I don't know. That's two mortgages. Like John is yeah. just working. I mean, he always provided. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, and again, you got to decide where. I, I, I don't know where God is would call you. Um, how much of that $18,000 do you have left to pay off? We, we don't have, I mean, we don't have any more credit card debt. We don't own anything. We own our cars. We, you know, we don't have anything. So yeah. just 
I mean, it's... We, yeah, when, when we are faithful to the things God calls us to, it, and, and so I just, I, I just want you to know that when I hear them say that, and I didn't like lead them toward that, I honestly did not lead them into that finance thing. It was one of the things in Renee's, um, Renee wrote out her responses. She said, John's more of an off-the-cuff guy. <clears throat> but I noticed that, and I was like, yep, there it is again. It just, <clears throat> it, it, if you want to be more generous, start being generous and watch God. Because remember, we've talked about the flow in creation. There in the earliest pages of Scripture is God blesses us primarily for us to outwardly bless others. And when he sees that he can trust us in that, it just starts increasing. So um, I don't promise you a lot up here, but I know that that's something that you will not see God work like he were, that's just something that God does. And, and, and nowhere else can, would I say that God works quite to the level that when we trust him with, with those principles. So, um, all right, you got one second, or you got, that's not, that's not, you got one minute to go back in time 10 years ago and tell yourselves one thing for one minute 10 years ago. What do you tell yourself 10 years ago that you wish that you knew? I would say that um, just trusting God and his, what his plan is for you and um, not trying to change the plan and not trying to like come up with crazy ways to get around what, what you can and can't do. Um, it, it just trusting him and it, it makes life way, way easier than trying to like change the, you know, the way that he's making it to be. And that when we started doing that, or at least me, um, it, and all it just to make this very clear, this took a long time for us to like. This wasn't like an overnight thing that we took a lot of effort to get to where we were. So it wasn't like it happened in a year or something like that. It was. It takes time. And you have to trust the the plan. Sounds like what you're saying is take God from being wherever He is and make Him the center of life. Yeah. Okay. And for me, for 10 years ago, I would go listen to Mercy Me's song, Dear Younger Me, and there's a line in there that says, if I knew then what I know now, the condemnation would have had no power, my joy, my pain would have never been my worth. Okay, that's going to be an, another, another time for you guys to come up here is, is your journey of receiving God's grace. Right? I, I mean, it's, it's we been... We didn't agree to come up It's again. been a journey. We'll... we'll uh, what? Getting more airtime. Uh, yeah, so thank you guys for, I know that it's. That's a, a, a high level of, uh, of vulnerability, and I, I appreciate that. Um, one thing that I want to I introduce you to before we, we close, um, there's this thing we're going to do, uh, and we're going to start cycling. That We're, we're basically going to start working in like uh, parenting, marriage, finance, and, and offer like a rotation of these kind of classes. Uh, January 21st, we're going to do six weeks. Uh, it'll be during the first service. We'll talk more about it in the coming weeks. But uh, Phil Beck, that guy right there, um, he's going to lead uh, this six-week class. He has 25 years of, of experience in working through, and first let me just, debt-free, and, and I don't think you make a million dollars a year 
um, just debt-free the right way from, that, and his wife was stay-at-home mom for a long time, homeschool, and just, they just did stuff right, and now are able to be some of the most generous people that I know, and their finances are in, in impeccable shape, and, and, and Phil, having received this from God, now gives freely, helping others uh, with, with the things that he's learned. You can sign up for the, for the class uh, from the app if you, go, if you download our app and go to Opportunities, or actually, I think it's one of the tiles on the front, um, finance class, and sign up, or see Phil or me or whatever. But it's not like you're saying, we can't figure this out, we're a mess. All you're really doing is saying, yeah, we could, we could use some guidance. We could, we could get some oversight developing a plan. Uh, we could do better. So um, just consider it if that's where you're at and that's what you need next. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Um, go ahead and stand. We're going to pray and you're dismissed. If you want to hang out for one last song, feel free. So after I'm done praying, you can go or you can stay. Uh, Father, thank you for the nemes. Thank you for the transforming power of your spirit at work in their life. Thank you that there is an engine of love that brought your son here, that there is a redemptive flow to all creation and we're caught up in it. Please um, give us guidance. Show us what needs to be in, in submission, uh, how to make you more at the center, and, and uh, help us to find more paths of redemptive generosity in our life toward others. In Jesus' name, amen.